You must try to live within your means. I do try. But money's for spending, isn't it, Mr. Graf? If you have it. a movie called Perfect Friday and what a terrible title but what a great film when I sat down and watched this this was the best film that you had ever sent my way and I love it and I want a copy of it I think it's great so we can just end the podcast now basically I, I had a very strong feeling that this would be up your alley for probably three reasons well I, I can only predict one of those reasons which is that the soundtrack is by John Dankworth who's a great British jazz musician who mm. did a lot of very good uh, and very kind of characteristic soundtracks of the period, like Modesty Blaze, for instance. Terrible movie, good soundtrack. Uh, the Nudity as well, I thought would be right up your alley. Well, again, <laughs> again, you're absolutely right, because, you see, uh, we, you did, this is one of three movies that we watched. Yes. We do these in batches, these podcasts in batches, and we do them in batches of three. And you told me that the three movies we we're going to do this time had a, a linking theme. Those and, three being Perfect Friday, Carry On Camping, and In the Bleak Midwinter. Yes, uh, and I, when I saw Carry On Camping and saw that it had nudity in it, I thought that was the common thread between these two. But like Carry On Camping, there's a special resonance to this nudity because it features the gorgeous Ursula Andress, who I know from the James Bond film Doctor No. Yes. And the thing is, so I'm accustomed to thinking of her as the woman in a bikini that you'd never see nude because she's tantalisingly, you know, minimally dressed but she's not nude in the Bond movie but in this she's nude and it's fantastic like, and she's such a great character because her sexuality and her freeness about that is sort of a really major part of who she is and she's this wonderful kind of warm loving person uh, well the characters are all great and they're fantastic actors I mean the, the central triumvirate of this is Ursula Andres, Stanley Baker and David Warner, and aren't they all great? They're fantastic. And I think if you've got a cast this good, you can't really go wrong. Um, what I really like about these three characters is that they never once tell the truth to each other at any point. Okay, now there's so much to talk about because this is such <laughs> a great movie. I want to just name check the... Well, for a start, it was very surprising to me because it's directed by Peter Hall. And that's yes. Peter Hall of the National Theatre, is it yes. not? It's an unusual choice of film for him, isn't it? But he does a really good job. If memory serves, it was deliberately that way. I think he was aping the... In fact, what we were talking about on Carry On Camping when we did that one is the leaning towards... Uh, that's what the, the nudity's doing in there. Is it's, it's taking the piss out of the sex comedies that were very popular around the time. I beg to differ. I think that this movie... Was, well, he has said that. I think that it's a zeitgeist thing because this was... It, was made, it came out in 1970, so it would have been made in the late 60s, around about 69. And at this time, there was a, there was a thriving subgenre of caper movies, but which are they're often like heist movies or about con men. So examples might be, um, of course, I've completely gone blank now. I'm not helping. <laughs> no, well, but well, I can think of the British ones like The Jokers, which was a Michael Winner movie, would be what that was the one that I jotted down. But I was thinking um, 
there was oh, completely blanked. Can we edit this out? Um, well, hang on. What year was this? This was Italian job. Uh, well, the Italian that job is it's is sort of in in that vein. But I was thinking more like there's all these elaborate kind of con trick and heist movies, and uh, I'm trying to summon the name, but the cavalcade, uh, mirage, Centurion's train robbery. These these are all the wrong names. Well, I, mean, I suppose, we, having just mentioned the Great Century and Train Robbery, I suppose with the Great Train Robbery so present in everyone's minds, that that's probably why there were a lot of heist films around that time. There was a great Stanley Baker movie called Robbery, which is about mm. the Great Train Robbery, which um, immediately came to mind in the context of this. But this is not this is kind of a heist film, but it's also about con tricks and people uh, swindling each other. Yeah. And this, this was a very popular thing at the time. It's also quite heavily uh, about the class system as well. Yes, it absolutely is. Um, uh, just to give a quick explanation of what this is about, Stanley Baker is a bank manager. He's not quite the senior manager. Uh, and so what's going to happen is the bank's going to get robbed. And this has very interesting echoes of Cash on Demand, which is another film we talked about. It's part of the reason it ended up on the list. <laughs> yeah, because it, the the essence of the robbery is to do with a bank inspection which is exactly what happens in cash on demand yeah this, this was no accident that i chose this film after we did cash on demand because i know that you liked that one well let's try another british heist film with a similar but this plot. is such a wonderful film i was so pleased i'm determined to give you a list of the kind of films i'm talking about so i'm going to look search on the writer i think peter stone wrote a load of them so i'm going to well i'm hoping you'll edit out a bunch of this because i hate getting things wrong Oh, no, that's why it's staying in. Sherrard, that was the name I was groping for. So Sherrard, uh, which was a Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn heist kind of movie. And at that, during that period, there was like waves of these, these movies about people who were sort of um, pulling cons on each other. And that's, so this is a combination heist and con movie. And it's a, one I'd never heard of. And it's a really, really terrific one. I hadn't heard of it either. I only saw this one a, a few years back. Um, I think possibly Network released it on Blu-ray. Oh, and I, I gave it a go just because it was David Warner. I thought, I'll give that. Oh well, I've got to get a copy. So it's co-written by two guys. Uh, they are Anthony Greville Bell, whom I'd never heard of before, and sounds like a Michelin-style chef. Uh -huh. uh, it sounds like a character in the next one we're going to talk about, and Scott Forbes. So. I don't know who either of these guys were. Scott Forbes had a lot of background in British television writing. Uh, Anthony Greville Bell has a great credit that I know about, which is Theatre of Blood, which is a Vincent Price movie about about an actor killing off critics, which is a great movie. So Good Diana Rick film, that one. Yeah, uh, but I'd never heard of these guys before, and they did an, and it's not based on a novel or anything, they did an amazing job on this. I just, I just loved it. It's a really good title screenplay, but it's very carefully thought through because the actual mechanics of the heist are beautifully thought through. What it also does, which is quite unusual for film around that time, is that it's got a very staggered narrative and drops you in somewhere near the middle of the film. Well, isn't then... it a bit like Run, Lola, Run, where they do this, or the Stanley Kubrick's The Killing, where they often do resets and, you know, they stop at a certain point and they go back and show you how you got to that point. Quite common in film now. In fact, almost tedious in yeah. film now. But I've done, I can't think of many examples earlier than I this. I thought Peter Hall did an amazing job because... I would have expected him to be much more at home, sort of pretentious, uh, 
literary properties. And this is a full-on caper heist movie, and it's great. It's odd that it's a film with a lot of sense of fun, but it, visually, it's so drab. And I know it's deliberate, but everything mm, is blacks, greys, No, I think it's, but it's so beautifully photographed by... It is. It's very well shot, but it's very deliberately lacks colour. It's got a very washed-out look, so that well, any time you get... Uh, Ursula Andress, for example, a lot of her outfits are black and white as well. But when you're really hitting the fun part is when she's in a colourful outfit. Well, it's photographed by Alan Hume, and I think what you talk... <laughs> I was going to disagree with you about that, but actually there is a scene where Ursula Andress and Stanley Baker go for a picnic, and they go for a picnic in this rather horrible kind of yeah. industrial place. It's not, There's very little pleasant stuff to see. Even uh, the Docklands, which you know, we're used to now looking quite lovely, but a lot of the films shot around there, so when they actually have that oh, first meeting on the boat, you've got... Another thing about this is that it's a bit like the man who haunted himself. Hmm. Is that It's this inadvertent documentary about a London that's gone. There's a bit where they all they all go on a riverboat together. It's just wonderful to yeah. see this stuff. It's so gorgeous. But th- I think this is visually a really great movie because just so people understand what it's about, Stanley Baker is a bank manager and he's in this... The office is great because it's all glass. All, him, him and his boss and his colleagues are all in these glass cubicles, which will become a point later on. Uh, it's actually going to be... Uh, sort of major plot point. Almost the entire office is black and white as well. Um, There's no I, I in that office. Well, I suppose there is an idea about this being um, a colourless existence that he yeah. leads. He, he, there's actually a line later on, there are advantages to working in a glass office. But I think, I think the uh, cinematographer, it's important for plot reasons, but it's also really useful for the movie makers, because you can see all the different people in the office, all the hierarchy. But what, later when they rent a flat for Ursula Andrews and David Warner, that also has glass doors and internal windows. So it's kind of a theme of the film, a visual theme of the film. Yeah. And I really like it. It, it, looks, it does look great. I like to say, it's just, it's, I think it's intentionally drab. So, it's not making London look great, which these days, when you watch any film set in London... Oh, it's a London that you just would never recognise because it's been swept and they've cleared all the homeless away. they cleaned up the blood and essentially it just looks like a, a chocolate box version of London which drives me around the bend. All those well, Richard Curtis films. <laughs> I, I like, I, I think it's quite visually wonderful because it's, it's showing me a London that's gone. But the story is that Stanley Baker is this bank manager, minor, he's like the under manager at this bank and this gorgeous aristocratic woman comes in who is... Ursula Andres, she wants a loan, an overdraft, in fact, yeah. and uh, she's like, a, she's very flirty and seductive and makes no bones about being a kind of a flighty, flirty girl. And they go out for a picnic together. And she, very early on, she's talking about her husband, and it says, uh, she says, My husband is beautiful, charming, and sexy, but not kind, not kind at all. And she finds Stanley Baker kind, and they sort of embark on an affair. An affair, and Stanley Baker—he's forgotten now. But Stanley Baker was a big movie star. He was a terrific actor, tremendous screen presence, and the only kind of slight miscasting is—it's clear that the bank manager is supposed to be sort of like a grey little man, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And Stanley Baker's not a grey little man. He's like a—he's a terrific, gorgeous uh, hunk uh, and a wonderful actor. It's like Burt Lancaster, pretending to be a grey little man. So that's slightly off because the part of the fun is the idea that this this gorgeous aristocratic woman has an affair with this mild-mannered bank manager 
But the great thing is the mild-mannered bank manager has got this agenda of his own, yeah. which is to rob the bank. And to do this, he needs the help of Ursula Andress and her, uh, her, her, her sexy, beautiful, charming, but unkind husband, who is played magnificently by David Warner. I'm just going to just check what the characters' names are. Nick. Yeah, so he's Nick. Richard Andrews is Lady Brit, oh, Brit, they call it, which I thought was interesting because it sort of suggests Brit Eklund, but she was a, 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 um, a sex kitten of a later era, I guess. So I don't think that was a deliberate reference to Brit yeah. Eklund. So she's called Brit, also known as Lady Dorset, because she's married to Nick, who's Lord Nicholas Dorset, who's David Warner. And Stanley Baker's only credited as Mr. Graham, which is hilarious because... Um, that's what she calls him. Even though he, he wants her to call him by his first name, she wants to call him Mr. Graham. And yes. she calls him Mr. Graham all through, even while they're having a love affair, which proves to be a plot point really effectively because <laughs> when she's, in, she's asleep in bed with her husband, she's talking in her sleep and she's sort of lovingly calling out this name, Mr. Graham, Mr. Graham. And he wakes her up and she, he says, you were saying a man's name and she's, she's a bit worried. And he says it was Mr. Graham. And he says, generally, when people have love affairs, she was her first name business. So it was like a clever move on her part. It was yeah. sort of like covering her tracks. But it's full of these wonderful, witty little gems. But to get back to David Warner, I've always been a huge David Warner fan, but I've never seen him like And he's great in this. But what is interesting is David Warner is generally cast as a kind of haggard. Uh, he's like he's got a face like Bogart. He's not a pretty boy. And he's usually cast in roles that are not, that don't call upon those things. But in this, he's like, he's in the handsome leading man part. And he's actually a bit dolled up. He looks, I think they were aiming for sort of a Michael Caine look. Because mm. he's blonde, he's got these intense eyes. Uh, he's very handsome. And it's a very different way of packaging him. I, I could be completely wrong on this one, but I felt that he was basing his demeanour and performance on Jagger. I think that's the that would kind make of sense. vibe he was going for. Well, that yes, because he does have that sort of. Um, I don't want to say swagger because it rhymes, but that that's generally what it, he's he that arrogance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if anyone can play arrogant, is David Warner. He's very good at this. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, that's but you're talking about how class comes into this, mm. and that's very interesting because Mick Jagger is not an upper class. He was a, a middle class kid. But he absolutely assumes those airs that that absolute arrogance. So yeah, Jagger would be a good. A uh, good choice, especially because our friend Lord Nick dresses in a very mod way, and he looks really good in uh, in some of these sixties outfits, which otherwise would look absolutely ridiculous. For instance, there's a bit when he's he's languidly uh, laying around in the House of Lords in a mod turquoise suit, which looks really good. I mean, there's this this great line where Mister when the the capers actually afoot and they've enlisted Nick and they're all working towards it, where Mister Graham says, "Where's Nick?" And she says, he went, he's at the House of Lords. He went there to sulk. <laughs> it's such great dialogue. And she's, she's wonderful. She has all these great lines, which are usually observations about character and, and revealing the eccentricity of her character, which yes. is, she's such an enticing character. It's a very unpredictable film. Yeah, absolutely. It's, even when the titles are running, you think, is that it? <laughs> have we got more to come here? Have we? <laughs> so what it is, is that Stanley Baker, Mr. Graham, the bank manager, has worked out how to rob his bank of £300,000. They have this cash float in the vault, and he's worked out how to steal it. And it's like any good caper movie, this is really well worked out. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it is similar to the, the, what happens in Cash on Demand, where somebody comes in pretending to be an inspector 
and wants to steal the cash float. That's exactly what happens in cash on demand, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but this even is luggage. Oh, even even the luggage, yes. Yeah, because in this, what happens is that Lady Brett, Brit, sorry, uh, puts there's sort of a a strong room in the bank. Uh, it's a bit like safety deposit boxes, but bigger. And she leaves this big kind of case or trunk there, which when they pull off the heist, they move all the money into that trunk and she comes and collects it. And she has a great line where this guy says, um, did you rob the bank? It's full of money. And she says, how did you guess? <laughs> Drives off in her sports car. But she's she's so great in this. She's really lovely because she's running around in the nude a lot. But that which is really enticing, but the, her enticing nature goes well beyond that because she's such a wonderful character with such great witty lines. She's really terrific in this. I've never really rated Ursula Andress as an actress until I saw this film. I'd always assumed that she was just there to be a pretty face in yeah. most films. Um, she she pretty much runs a show on this one. She's very good. Well, it's wonderful because she's so cheerfully amoral. I can't think of who else could have done it. She And she's just got this great character and you sort of forgive her because she, she's she has no scruples at all but she doesn't pretend to have any scruples it's really lovely well this is the thing with all three of these characters that they all are likable in their own way but they are all incredibly deceptive even david warner's character i i think he when he turns on the charm he's great um you can see how he gets by in life because you've got to work out at some point in time he actually managed to romance her and marry her I'm just uh, thinking about... I'm, tr I'm trying to think if I've got any great lines written by, down by Nick. I haven't really, because he's very much a physical presence. It's the delivery. Yeah. It's very sardonic, so everything he says tends to be a put-down or a, a little snide aside. One um, of the things that I did write down, it's, it's very good on the whole procedure of the robbery, because it, it's based on the bank's security procedures, and there's this line, the essence of good security has changed, and I thought that's true. Like, you know, constantly changing passwords or or uh, routines, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And the robbery involves a really good scam using a telephone. And there's this nail-biting bit where Stanley Baker has to switch phones and he's connected this, a special line. It's all beautifully done. I really like that sequence. I did write down one line of Warner dialogue. Good. Uh, which is where he's, he's talking about how they pose as someone else and he says we affect a cockney accent mate yes i i, I wanted to write that down but i was so enjoying the film i didn't want to pause at that point i, I made very few notes and i mean this is probably the, what, the second time i've seen this film so yeah yeah but, but what he's saying is very true it's that this the class thing again that that the it's trendy for the upper classes to pretend to be lower class and, and that they were right on the money about that back in 1970 it's very impressive the other thing that's unusual for this film is that in most films, when you have a heist going on, you just get the heist. In this one, you get an aborted one before the real one. It's really great because although it's called Perfect Friday, it should be called Perfect Monday because the idea is that the bank manager, the guy who's Stanley Baker's boss, uh, he he's a golfing nut and he tends to sneak off on Fridays to go to golf matches he, like he pretends to be sick or whatever it's very amusing but stanley baker knows this so he's waiting for a friday when this guy goes away because the absence absence of the manager is going to be part and parcel of his scheme i have to mention now that there's two under managers uh, or assistant managers whatever they're called one is stanley baker and the other is the great tp mckenna 
who was in Doctor Who. Yes. But also he was in Straw Dogs with David Warner, which is very interesting. He has a very minor role in this, but he's a lovely actor. And he's in the glass cubicle next to Stanley Baker, and they're both beside the guy, whoever the guy, the big boss is. But it's called Perfect Friday because they're waiting for the Perfect Friday when all everything comes together and they can pull off the robbery. And they think that that's happened, and it's they have to pull the plug, they have to abort it. But to their amazement, they get another shot on the Monday and they go for it. The real bank manager has uh, a ploy for when he goes away at the weekend, when he leaves early, which is to pretend he's got a cold. Yes. And there's a fantastic line on the Monday where his receptionist, he caught a cold, a real one. <laughs> the receptionist is really good. Uh, you know, the, the only other woman in the film. No, there's there's the girl on the switchboard. There's the the secretary that you're talking about. Uh, girl on the that? switchboard is Ursula Andress, isn't it? Pretending. No, there's actually a girl on the switchboard as well as the secretary who actually brings in the uh, the tablets for the guys pretending to be. So anyway, yeah. the cast is exemplary. This is a oh one- nanny. Oh, nanny's great. Yeah. How could you possibly have forgotten <laughs> nanny? Played by Patience Collier. What a great name, and with a lovely white cat. Who is very clearly one of Hall's National Theatre buds, I reckon. That's what I thought. But I thought that of just about... Well, not of Ursula Andres and Stanley Baker, who are movie stars, but everybody else, I thought, were, he was drawing from this pool of fantastic talent. Yeah, it's a superb film. And I'm really glad I, I found it, because uh, there's a scene in it, and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, David Warner's standing on a corner, and a cab pulls up and goes, Cab? And he goes, Piss off. And the car drives <laughs> off. And I was I did a review of this film on Facebook, and our combined chum Lisa Bauman uh, said, "Hang on, I'll ask him because I theorised that this was not meant to happen." Yeah. And he confirmed it that yes, the cab just pulled up while they're in the middle of a take, and he had to tell them to piss off and get on with the take. <laughs> so yeah, I really like that scene, <laughs> not least because Warner stays in character. <laughs> Warner is great in this, but then everybody's great. It's a yeah. wonderful sexy, hilarious thriller, beautifully plotted, fantastically shot. Why have I never heard of it? I think it must have tanked. Yeah, I don't know why. It, Like I say, I can't really see what's wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a great movie. Yeah. Must have just been bad distribution. Well, I think, like I said, there was a lot of these movies coming out at about the same time that were caper movies. Uh, maybe this one just didn't, you know, got lost in, in the shuffle. But I, there's not... Okay, there is one flaw. I do think there's one flaw with this film. Can you guess what it is? Well, I don't think that... Well, what I don't get is that if Andrus and Warner are married, where this other guy comes into it... Okay, so the, the thing is, everybody's trying to double-cross everybody else in this. Yes. So what happens is they get the money. It's all this lovely, 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 lovely money. And they get to the airport... And t- David Warner wants Ursula Andres to come away with him with money and steal all the money and not give any to Stanley Baker. Stanley Baker wants to, to her to do the same with him, not give any money to David Warner. But she outfoxes them both and goes off with this other guy. My problem is I don't really know who this other guy is. Well, we don't. All we know is that we saw him once before. So what happens is, this is a spoiler, massive spoiler, but in the end, Ursula Andress takes off with all the money and somebody else who's not David Warner or Stanley Baker. And there's a great bit where Stanley Baker and David Warner are standing on this um, kind of observation platform at London Airport, watching her plane take off, fly away with all the loot, uh, and they've both been abandoned. And they 
suddenly say, well, you know what? Why don't we try and pull the robbery again in a year's time? Yeah. Which is great. I just love that about it. It's really nice. They, they, because they've, been at, they've always been at loggerheads all through this. Uh, and they've not been the best of mates. But it, it's sort of like a Casablanca ending where they sort of end up as buddies. Which is a great idea. But how would they do that? Because surely that missing money is going to be investigated now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought, you see, I thought that the reveal of who she's run off with and this would have worked for me, was that it was the golfing bank manager. Right, okay. Yeah, that would have been better. And it wasn't It wasn't him. So I was trying desperately trying to think who it could be. Mm. So I thought golfing bank manager, uh, I had somebody else as, as a possible candidate. But it wasn't him either. But what it turns out to be, I think it's supposed to be, they do set up that Ursula Andres has this other this former lover who's come over to England from Switzerland and is knocking at her door and is trying to get her back. Is that who it's supposed to be? Yes, yeah, the guy that was at the, the door before. But then why? And I don't understand this. There's this, when they're on the plane for the big reveal, they do this close-up of this ring that he's wearing. Does that ring feature in the film at all? Yes, it's, it's the one that ring. picks up the case in the airport so that you know who it was that picked up the case oh, so it's, and switched them. Uh, it only goes that far back. Mm. Yeah, I thought it way earlier in the film it had some further significance. No. no. Well, But I mean, I would have assumed the guy she was sitting beside was her co-conspirator anyway. I don't think we needed the, the big ring. You see, that's the only weakness of this movie is that the big reveal of who she really runs off with needs to be somebody who's better set up than that. I think so too. Um also, I kind of like that they don't hammer home where you've seen him before. But that may also explain why the film didn't do as well. Yeah, because it's like, the, here's the big reveal, and everybody's like, what the fuck? <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, um, but that's, <clears throat> that is the only flaw in what I, I think other, otherwise is the masterpiece. And you said that it was released on network, on Blu-ray, possibly. I'm just, ever since you said that, I've been longing to get on the computer and buy myself a copy. I love this movie. It's nearly always in one of their daily sales. I love it. I just, you know. So I can't recommend this film highly enough. It's great. And it, to, to date, this is the best film that Matt has foisted upon me. I loved it. Loved what was it? it? Overtaken Sheena? Loved it. It has overtaken wow. Sheena. Yeah. Blimey. It's a much more accomplished piece of cinema than Sheena is. Uh, because Sheena is a bit of a shambling mess. Mm -hmm. this, oh, yeah. is, this is not a shambling mess, except for that very final plot point, which isn't properly crafted. Everything else is brilliantly done. I loved it. And in terms of the linking theme between this, Carol Camping and In the Bleak of Winter... Well, I know, because I thought it was going to be nudity, but there's none of that to be seen in the Bleak Midwinter. But when we get to the Bleak Midwinter, perhaps... There'll be a reveal. Yeah, but maybe I'll, at the last minute, pull the fat out of the fire and work out what, what it is. Fantastic. Stay tuned. <laughs>